Let's talk about America. Um, I'd actually like to start with George Washington in the book, The Light and the Glory, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, they talk about when Washington was 20 years old, he had a prayer journal. One of the entries read, Let my heart, therefore, gracious God, be so affected with the glory and majesty of thine honor that I may not do my own works, but wait on you and discharge those weighty duties which you require of me. At the time, Washington was 20 years old, a young man. He said, direct my thoughts, words, and work, wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb, and purge my heart by your Holy Spirit. Daily frame me more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. George Washington was a follower of Jesus Christ. His mother had an impact on his life at a young age. On the day he left home to begin a, a lifetime of serving his country, she said to him, remember that God only is our sure trust. To him, I commend you. And then she added, my son, neglect not the duty of sacred prayer. And it's evident that he did not. He definitely knew how to pray. The extensive notes and the margins of his prayer-filled notebook indicate that Washington indeed honored his mother's advice and his discipline of private prayer was to stand him in good stead for the years to come in the founding of our country. Entering the Virginia militia as a young officer, Washington distinguished himself in combat during the French and Indian Wars. On July 9th, 1755, there was a battle where the British forces were decimated and his commanding officer, General Edward Braddock, was killed. Fifteen years after the battle, Washington and his friend, Dr. Crake, were walking in the Western Reserve land near the Ohio River, and a band of Indians came to him with an interpreter. And the leader of the Indians mentioned that he wished to have a conversation with Washington. And so they lit a fire. This is what the chief said about George Washington. I am a chief and ruler over my tribes. My influence extends to the waters of the Great Lakes and to the far blue mountains. I have traveled long and weary paths that I might see the young warrior of the great battle, referring to 15 years ago. It was on that day when the white man's blood mixed with the streams of our forest that I first beheld this chief. I called to my young men and said, Mark the tall and daring warrior. He is not of the red coat tribe. He has an Indian wisdom. His warriors fight as we do. Himself alone is exposed. Quick, let your aim be certain, and he dies. In other words, the chief said, Mark Washington. We need to eliminate him from the battlefield. Our rifles were leveled, rifles which, but for him, knew not how to miss. It was all in vain, a power mightier far than we shielded him from harm. He cannot die in battle. 
What the Indian chief was talking about was, and this is confirmed in Bancroft's 19th century history of the United States, um, in George Washington's journal itself, that he was 23 years old on the battlefield at that time. He had two horses shot out from underneath him. He had four musket balls go through his own jacket. There was nothing wrong with the Indians' marksmanship. It was though God had marked George Washington and protected him on the battlefield for becoming the first president of the United States in America's greatest crises, fighting for their freedom. Just a footnote, America... Um, only being 6% of the world's population has the distinction of sending out 75% of the missionaries around the world. 6% of the population, 75% of all the missionaries. Would you say that God has blessed America? In Genesis 12, 3, God said, I will bless those who bless you, Israel, and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And as of as early as 1970, six million Jews have been protected from harassment, anti-Semitism in the United States. They've been granted the opportunity for economic, educational, cultural advancement without fear of losing their religious freedom. We have been blessed as a nation because we have blessed the Jews. In Tony Evans' book, he writes, America is in serious trouble. From sea to shining sea, we are witnessing the surrender of a nation. It is clear that things are unraveling at warp speed. It is clear that we are fraying as a nation. The American dream is quickly becoming the American nightmare. As more and more citizens become disillusioned with the direction things seem to be going. There are only two explanations before us as we witness what is happening to our beloved nation. Either we are on the verge of the completion of an eschatology calendar that will usher in the return of Christ to judge the earth and set up his earthly kingdom. Or we are enduring the passive wrath of God whereby he allows a person or a society to experience the consequences of their rejection of him. The more people marginalize the true God of the Bible, the more chaotic things become. However, such judgment opens the door for revival when God's church returns to him in humility and repentance. The return of Christ is outside of our hands, but revival and its social and cultural benefits are very much in our hands. Even when the church has become an unintentional co-conspirator in the culture's demise through its compromise with the culture, it can be empowered when it turns about to God in repentance. God and his rule is America's only hope. And I say that in July 2021, that God and his rule is our only hope. For survival. And the church operating under his authority is the means for this realization of that hope, since it alone has been given the keys of the kingdom. In your notes, number one, let's jump into that God in the country. 
And uh, as you can see, we're, we're going to be uh, walking through Second Chronicles chapters 14 through 16, not, not the entire chapters, but walking through uh, the life of a king, Asa, who ruled 41 years, going back in time to 910 to 869 B.C. He led a national reformation, cleansing the land of idolatry and urging his people to seek the Lord. Let's read that in chapter 14, 1 through 4. When Abijah died, that's Asa's father, he was buried in the city of David. And then his son Asa became the next king. There was peace in the land for 10 years. Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the pagan, the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his law and his commands. Just like Asa, when he became king over Judah, calling his people back to the Lord, I, it's, it's an incredible thing that Abijah, even though he didn't live for the Lord, somewhere along the line, Asa realized that having a relationship with Almighty God was important. And he carried that through even into his reign so we, as America, we need to look at our foundation. It's interesting that Israel was chosen by God to be his people, to represent him on the planet. God chose Israel. America chose God to rule and to reign over this country. And you find that to be true in its founding. On May 17th, 1776, Congress appointed a day of fasting and prayer for the colonies so that they might be sincere, there might be sincere repentance for God's righteous displeasure and through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ that we would obtain his pardon and his forgiveness. George Washington, when he became president, added four words to the inauguration ceremony. So help me God. And the first thing that Washington did after he was inaugurated was stoop down and kiss his Bible. And as an affirmation of his submissive spirit that he had toward the rule and authority of Almighty God. The first act of United States Congress, by the way, was to authorize the printing of 20,000 Bibles. Tim LaHaye said this Christian consensus is easily verified by the fact that prior to 1789, the year of the year 11 of the 13 states ratified the Constitution, many of the states still had no constitutional requirements. That man must be a Christian in order to hold public office. When you think of the church and how the pastors played an important role in the founding of this country, a preacher named Francis Bellamy wrote our Pledge of Allegiance. Another pastor, Samuel Smith, wrote the hymn, My Country, Tis of Thee. John Leland, another pastor, wrote the introduction of the First Amendment of the Constitution. In fact, I have copies here of the preambles to the Constitution in all 50 states in America. Every single one of them referenced God in the preamble. To save time, I'll jump to Wisconsin. 
In fact, let me jump to West Virginia. It's right on top of Wisconsin, 1872. Since through divine providence, we enjoy the blessings of civil, political, and religious liberty. We, the people of West Virginia, reaffirm our faith in a constant reliance upon God as we establish this constitution. Wisconsin, 1848, their preamble, we the people of the state of Wisconsin were grateful to Almighty God for our freedom and domestic tranquility. Every single state in America referenced God in their preamble. Prior to the war between the states, 90% of all American college presidents were pastors. It wasn't just the people who honored God back then, but our institutions did as well. In fact, 106 of the first 108 schools in America were founded on Christian faith. Harvard and Yale began as ministry training schools, schools to train pastors, statements of philosophy. Listen to what Yale's was. Seeing God is the giver of all wisdom, every scholar besides private or secret prayers shall be present morning and evening at public prayers. Princeton, cursed be all that learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Brown, Brown University, by the way, you've heard me talk about Adoniram Judson, missionary to Burma. He went to school at Brown. Dartmouth, William and Mary, Columbia were founded by Christian preachers with the expressed intent to educate the youth in America for Christ. John Harvard was a pastor in Charlestown, Massachusetts, and the man for whom Harvard University was named stated the purpose of the university was that every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main ends of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the foundation of all knowledge and learning and see that the Lord only gives wisdom. To let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek Christ Jesus as Lord and Master. Even Harvard's original seal, which can be seen on the campus today, states these words, truth for Christ and the church. Columbia University wrote it this way, the chief things that are aimed in this college are to teach, engage the children to know God and Jesus Christ and to love and serve him in all sobriety. America's first school book was the New England Primer. It had the Lord's Prayer on the cover. It taught the alphabet in theological verse. For example, A, it read, In Adam's fall we sinned all. B, it's heaven to find the Bible's mind. C, Christ crucified for sinners died. That's how the children learned the alphabet. study was done in 15,000 items, newspaper articles, pamphlets, books, diaries written by the founding fathers of the United States. Shows that 94% of the quotes from these sources come directly from the Bible. Ruling in the Supreme Court back in 1892, our laws and our institutions must 
necessarily be based upon and embody the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible that it should be otherwise. In this sense and to this extent, our civilizations and our institutions are emphatically Christian. In 1811, James Kent, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, ruled against the man who used Jesus' name in vain in public. The man was put in prison for three months and fined $500. $500 back in 1811, friends, it's a lot of money. Hmm? In his ruling, Kent explained his judgment by saying, we are a Christian people and the morality of the country is deeply engrafted upon Christianity. In 1950, the Supreme Court Chief Justice Earl Warren, and you will know Earl Warren was not a follower of Jesus. Let's put it this way. I believe no one can read the history of our country without realizing that the good book and the spirit of the Savior have from the beginning been our guiding geniuses. On February 11th, 1861, Abraham Lincoln spoke in Springfield, Illinois, and said, in regard to this great book, holding up his Bible, I have but to say it is the best gift God has given to man. All the good the Savior gave to the world was communicated to us through this book. But for it, we would not know right from wrong. And so it's fair to say that America definitely had its foundation huh, on Christianity and God's word. The framework of our nation's government, just a footnote, was patterned after the Bible, the three branches of government, executive, leg legislative, and judicial. Where did that come from? No other government had ever used that before. It comes out of Isaiah 33:22. For the Lord is our judge, our lawgiver, and our king. He will care for us and save us. So the judge, that's judicial branch, lawgiver, legislative branch, king's executive branch. And our founding fathers used the Bible to organize our government. Number two, God at war and war. Second Chronicles 14, 9, once an Ethiopian named Zira attacked Judah, with an army of one million men and 300 chariots. That's a big army, by the way. They advanced to the town of Marisha. So Asa deployed his armies for battle in the valley north of Marisha. Then Asa, what's he do? He cried out to the Lord, his God. Oh, Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Judah was heavily outnumbered by this army. Help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you alone. You know, that's a good prayer. Help me, Lord. I'm trusting in you alone. It's a good one to camp out on. It is your name that we have come against this fast Horde, O oh Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. And so the Lord defeated the Ethiopians. You see that? The Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa and the army of Judah, and the enemy fled. Going down to verse 13, they were destroyed by the Lord and his army. Going down to verse 14, and terror from the Lord came upon the people there. 
I would say that in America, because of our position on, on this planet, we have had, we have experienced the fear of the Lord from foreign countries that have kept them at bay. Now, we know on September 11th, that hand was pulled away. And I believe we're seeing that more and more. The fear of America is being lifted. But we see in verse 11, Asa cried out to the Lord, his God. Asa's motivation wasn't to bring glory to his name, but that God's name would be glorified and honored in this battle. Let's go to 1944 in America. We were about to invade France. The date was up in the air, and finally June 6th became D-Day. There was talk about praying for the nation, and of course there were critics in the country pushing back on that, but they were largely ignored. On June 6, 1944, Franklin Roosevelt used the power of the radio to link our country in prayer. Throughout the day, networks broadcast the text, which was printed in the afternoon editions of the newspapers. At 10 p.m. Eastern Time, President Roosevelt prayed for D-Day, the success of it. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their prayer. And, O oh Lord, give us faith. Give us faith in thee, faith in our sons, faith in each other. Thy will be done, Almighty God. Amen. His prayer, I've cut it short, was over six minutes long. The New York Daily News threw out its lead articles of the day and printed in their place the Lord's Prayer. Lord and Taylor never opened that day. President Hoving sent his 3,000 employees home to pray. September 11th, let's talk about that. Um, We all know what's been going on the last few decades here, but after 7, September 11th, 2001, Congress made a critical decision. They sought the voice of God. After the two towers had fallen in New York, attack in Washington, D.C., in rural Pennsylvania, the senators joined with representatives on the front steps of the nation's capital. And following words of hope, victory, and justice, along with a moment of silence with nearly all Americans watching, Congress erupted in an impromptu prayer, even though they may not have known it, they were praying. But they were praying because this prayer was couched in a song. Most people don't realize that our song Congress sang that night, God Bless America, is indeed a prayer. When you read the opening stanza written in 1938 when war was raging throughout Europe, a war that America would soon enter, the stanza ends, let all us all be grateful for a land so fair as we raise our voices in a solemn prayer. And then the chorus, God bless America, land that I love. 
as recent as September 11, 2001. In 1956, the 84th Congress passed a resolution to replace the existing motto with, In God We Trust. President Eisenhower signed it on July 30th. Why, would, why the change? Because communism was spreading throughout the planet, and America wanted to differentiate between communism and Christianity. Communism promotes atheism. Christianity promotes a relationship with the Lord and freedom. In 1964, In God We Trust was printed on our coins. That's interesting, In God We Trust. That's making a statement that God is our provider, right? Yeah. It's God. He's for our provider. Um, and as you go to work, it's just a good reminder. It's God that we put our trust in. Number three, God in peace, chapter 15, um, verse 1, Then the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded, and he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from the battle. This is after God did a great work. Listen to me, Asa, he shouted. Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin, the Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. Whenever you seek him, you will find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach them and without the law to instruct them. But whenever they were in trouble and turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him out, they found him. God's grace. And the Lord sent the prophet Azariah to meet Asa. Why? As a reminder, listen, dude, don't become proud and arrogant. After this victory, let this be a reminder that you need to humble yourself always and God will take care of you. Because Azariah knew, God knew, the human nature. We, we tend to go off the rails, don't we, if we're left by ourselves. The French writer Alexis de Tickville, after visiting America back in 1831, said, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system, and in her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for her Democratic Congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there, not until I went to the churches of America. And I heard the pulpits flame with righteousness that I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. The churches in America, the influence. Number four, God in his solemn promise, Second Chronicles 15, 8. This is after post Azariah's word, when Asa heard the message, he took courage and removed all the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and in the towns he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which stood in front of the entry room of the Lord's temple. Then Asa called together all the people of Judah and Benjamin, along with the people of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who had settled among them. Interesting. People left Israel to move into Judah because they recognized God was blessing Judah because Asa was following after God. 
Isn't it interesting? Why do you think people from all around the world have wanted to come to America? Huh? The same thing that we see here. They had seen the blessing of God. We see in verse 9, for many of Israel had moved to Judah during Asa's reign when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. It's a good place to live in a country where God is honored. Verse 12, then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. Friends, if you're not all in with heart and soul in your relationship with Christ today, you are not going to make it. We are seeing, we are seeing the ripple effect of Christians in America that have had a mediocre relationship with him whenever it's convenient and they're drifting and falling off the rails. You have to be all in and Asa recognized this with all their heart and soul. We'll talk more about that later. They agreed that anyone who refused to seek the Lord the God of Israel would be put to death. That's pretty serious, wouldn't you say? We didn't see you in church on Sunday. Boom. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's serious, man. They shouted out their oath of loyalty to the Lord. They shouted out their loyalty to the Lord. Do you see what we get to do on Sunday morning? We are shouting out via song and worship. We are shouting it out, our loyalty. You are faithful, God. We put our trust in you and you alone. There is something about shouting it out, declaring it. All in Judah were happy about this covenant, for they had entered into it with all their heart. Do you see the difference there? You need, you need to make that commitment with all your heart. They earnestly sought after God, and they found him. And the Lord gave them rest from their enemies on every side. You can go to Deuteronomy 8. Moses talks about the same thing. Be careful. Don't become proud when you are blessed by God to think that you did it on your own, everything good comes from God. That's what, that's what, what Moses was talking about. Let's go back to 1904 in Wales. Wales was in trouble, man. They were, um, there was political, social, economic unrest It was a Sunday, Valentine's Day. Flory Evans was in attendance. She had recently put her faith in Jesus. Her nickname was Flo. History credits Flory Evans as starting one of the greatest national revivals of all time, ultimately impacting America as well. The Valentine's Day service was part of a two-month series of meetings where Pastor Joseph Jenkins had been preaching on things of spiritual renewal and turning to God with all your heart. And during the morning service, Pastor Jenkins opened up the floor for testimonies, people who had been impacted in their spiritual life. And several young men got up, but <laughs> they struggled. Uh, they kind of rambled off topic. And so 
Pastor Jenkins had all of them sit back down. Imagine being in, a, in that environment. So who else would stand when the pastor kept <laughs> telling people to sit before they finished? Well, nobody else but Flory. The 14-year-old girl stood to her feet, came to the front, and after a short time of silence, with her voice trembling, she said these simple words, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. And those in attendance have testified that at that very moment, they witnessed a change in the atmosphere in that chapel. It's reported that as she spoke those words, the Holy Spirit's presence and his power fell in that meeting. So impactful was that moment that many, if not most, historians credit it to this young girl as the beginning of the 1904 Welsh Revival. Her words would influence a church and a nation. Number five, God in compromise. Just a heads up here in your notes. Um, those verses are a little off track, so just track with us on the screen. God in compromise, chapter 16. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, King Baasha of Israel invaded Judah, fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from entering or leaving King Asa's territory in Judah. Asa responded by removing the silver and the gold from the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and his royal palace. Let's go to verse 3. Let there be a treaty between you and me, like the one between your father and my father. See, I'm sending your, you silver and gold. Break your treaty with King Baasha of Israel so that he will leave me alone. What's God going to do about that? Verse 7, at that time, Hanani, the seer, a prophet, came to King Asa and told him, because you have put your trust in the king of Aram instead of the Lord your God, you missed your chance to destroy the army of King Aram. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and Libyans and their vast army with all their chariots and charioteers? At that time, you relied on the Lord and he handed them over to you. What a fool. What a fool you have been. And from now on, you will be at war. How does Asa reply? Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. No, verse 10, he got so ticked off, he put this prophet in the prison because he didn't want to hear him. And at that time, Asa also began to oppress some of his people. Anybody who tried to stand for freedom got put away. That's what's happening in communist countries today. King Asa, 36 years into his reign and pride, finally came in to be. See? And I've told you this, the longer I've been a follower of Christ, the more temptation it is to put it on cruise control and coast spiritually. And that is a battle I fight daily. Because I'm telling you right here, I'm finishing strong for the Lord. Joshua made that declaration before he died. He told his family and his people, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. With all of your heart. And Asa compromised. 
Every single one of us watching and in the building today, friends, you are, you are in a battle of compromise for your soul. So here, what's, what's going on? A third grader, uh, Lydia, nine years old, lives on a family farm in Braxton, Mississippi. Her faith is strong. She has a deep love for Jesus and an incredible witness for her Christian faith. That's why when Lydia's school requires students to wear a face mask due to COVID-19, Lydia chose a mask with the words, Jesus loves me on it. And Lydia wanted a mask that was meaningful to her, that expressed her faith. After all, all the masks had become a new way to express yourself. And Lydia's classmates seemed to have the same idea. Other students wore masks displaying popular logos, etc. But, but then Lydia's teacher singled her out and told her she couldn't wear that mask to school anymore. She would be disciplined if she chose to. And so a Christian organization is representing Lydia in court now to fight for her freedom of speech and religious freedom. What's going on in America? Too much to go down, but Christianity is under assault. We know that. So Proverbs 29, 18, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Would you say our country's running wild, friends? I would say so. Do you think anarchy is ruling in the streets? Anarchy is ruling in the streets, friends. We, we have lost it. We have lost it. 1949, Life Magazine. Life Magazine had an article warning America. It said, communism is not the only threat to Western civilization and perhaps not the greatest threat the greatest threat to our civilization comes from within the civilization itself. Our euphemism for it is secularism. A much blunter word is godlessness. Our civilization for all its churches and all its churchgoers is predominantly a secular, godless civilization. That was 1949. What was the tipping point in our culture overall, would you say? Those that have studied history would say it goes back to 1961. In the public schools, everyday students were required to pray as they stood looking at the American flag. Their simple prayer was, Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence on you. And we beg your blessing over us, our parents, our teachers, and our nation. Is that offensive? Well, somebody found it to be because the Supreme Court thought it was unconstitutional. Ever since prayer has been taken out of the public schools, 1962 friends track the social changes in our country. They're obvious. I don't I can get into it. I'm not. God does listen to prayer. And finally, number six, God is our hope. God is our hope. Second uh, Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
If you're 50 in, 50 out, friend, he's not looking for people like that. He's looking for people that are all in, fully committed to him. The question has been asked, does America have a role in prophecy? America's not in the Bible. We will either destroy ourselves from within. We will be consumed in the European Union. We will be overtaken by a foreign threat. We we just don't know what that's going to look like. But throughout a nation's history, we have seen America's leaders always turning to God for guidance. Just like George Washington kneeling at Valley Forge, just like the founding fathers kneeling at the First Continental Congress, President Lincoln praying in the hour of a national crisis, Woodrow Wilson reading his Bible late at night in the White House lights, and we could go on and on with that as well. But the bottom line is that God is our only hope. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, not the non-believer, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Wouldn't you like our land to be healed? Yeah. yeah. That is one of my daily prayers, friends. I I spend time praying for America and asking God to forgive me. And to have mercy and grace on this nation instead of judgment. We deserve judgment, no doubt. Greg Laurie put it this way in Psalm 33, 12, What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his inheritance. In 1992, the 75th anniversary issue of Forbes magazine featured the theme, Why We Feel So Bad When We Have It So Good. It noted the Americans live better than anybody else on the planet, and yet so many in our culture seem depressed. The editor, James Michaels, said, Why is this nation that... March so proudly into the 20th century, slouching so dejectedly toward the third millennium. The article goes on to cite the alarm, alarming loss of values, absolutes, and meaning in contemporary life. So what's gone wrong? There's a sense of emptiness. Why is that? Abraham Lincoln answered that years ago when he said, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Lincoln was right. We've forgotten God. We've pushed him out of the courtroom, the classroom, and pretty much out of our culture. So will good ever prevail over evil, or are we simply doomed to failure? The answer to America's problems is not political, it's spiritual. We need to turn back to God. Our country's got two choices. One is judgment, or the other is a spiritual awakening. And that is what we need to pray for today in the United States, that this country will have a spiritual awakening. When General George Washington commissioned six ships back in 1775, 
There was a flag they raised over these six ships, the appeal to heaven flag. It flew over our Navy ships during the Revolutionary War. That flag was actually used before the Stars and Stripes existed. America's cause for freedom came from Britain's tyranny. The colonists tried peaceful measures, but it didn't seem to work, and they realized their only hope for freedom was through war. But England had the strongest military, the most wealth in the world. How could a floundering group of colonists defeat them? They realized their only hope was God, like Asa in Judah. Our only hope for victory is through God himself. And so they realized that only God will help them. We will appeal to heaven. We will pray for God to help us. And that flag was born. And friends, this morning, this is not a doom and gloom talk. Because I believe that God is fully in control. That me, as a follower of Jesus Christ, my life is in his hands. I'm in his care. I will not fear. I will not panic. I do realize that the Chinese could come in tomorrow morning and occupy the White House. That is a distinct possibility. But I will not fear, nor will I panic, because my life is in the hands of Almighty God. This earth is not my home. Heaven is. That is my destination. And so until that day, I will live for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. We all have a decision to make. Am I all in for God? Or am I still going to keep playing games? Hmm? It's up to you. He gives you the freedom to choose. I encourage you today, if you've never put your faith in Christ, to do so. Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. You went to the cross on purpose because you loved me so much. I could never do enough good to get into heaven. You paid my sin debt in full. And so today, Lord, I put my trust in the fact that you are the savior of the world. You died for me. And because of that, I'm inviting you into my life. Forgive me, Lord, and help me to live for you the rest of my life through the power of your spirit. In Jesus name. Amen. Father, this morning, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to talk about your word, Lord, your people, Israel, and this nation, America. And Lord, we've been reminded of the simple fact that you were heavily involved in this entire process, Lord. You stepped in, you intervened, you opened doors, you closed doors to make this country happen. And today, Lord, we have been seeing throughout our culture people closing a door on you. They don't want you around. And we see, we're seeing the effects of that. And so forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive me, Lord. 
Help me help us this morning to proudly represent you where you have planted us, Lord, and our jobs, our neighborhoods, our homes. We will love you well, Lord. Help us to love you well and represent you well. We pray for our country. We thank you for your great power. We praise you for your truth. We're grateful that you have set us free from the clutching grasp of sin and death. Would you be with your people, extending your grace, granting your freedom, providing your protection, and empowering with your strength? We ask that you'd bring about an awakening of your presence as never before. We ask that your name be proclaimed, that all plans to silence the name of Jesus would be thwarted and crushed. We pray that many would come to know you as Lord and Savior. We pray that many would see your light, that you would open blind eyes and release those still imprisoned. We pray that you would unify your people for the glory of your name, that all who call themselves Christians would rise up, believing your great truth. Wake us up, Lord. Remind us to live aware, to redeem the time to listen to your words, to be willing to make a difference in this land. We pray for all those in authority that you would give them your wisdom and discernment as they lead. We ask that you would appoint strong, faithful men and women to serve this nation and our people. We pray for your great healing on our land, Lord. Shine your face on us. We need you now more than ever before. Our times are in your hands. Thank you that you are rich in mercy and full of grace. Thank you that you are forgiving and merciful. Thank you that you are strong and mighty. Thank you that you are for us and that you fight for us still today. Bring honor to your name, O Lord, for you alone are worthy. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.